0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to another episode of Across the Pond. You've joined us today on a bit of a silly season type of night, so I hope you're expecting a lot of laughs, a lot of jokes, and all of that kind of thing.
1: Don't you agree, Barry? We're in one of those moods tonight, Chad, so I'm not sure how this episode is going to go. I'm sure it'll be lots of fun, lots of good laughs, and looking forward to digging into all the various topics.
0: Well, welcome. Pond, pond, across, across the, the pond,
1: pond,
0: with Barry and Chad. So, I've just noticed that
1: the man himself has had a haircut looking fresh, Barry. I feel like a brand new man, Chad. After looking after that hair for way too long and getting really ridiculous, it's finally at a manageable length, and I couldn't be happier.
0: I can imagine.
1: Well, let's look back
0: on the week that was. The week that was. A jam-packed week, Barry, but we are not going to just regurgitate facts in the way that we may have done in the past. If that is the case, we do apologize. Uh, But let's go through a couple of the big-ticket items this past week, some of the things that interested us, some of the things that we want to chat about, uh, get a little bit of dialogue going, and what place is better to start than Apple and the uh, WWDC event that's been taking place.
1: Yeah, Chad, is one of our favorite points and one of our favorite topics to talk about. I'm sure people know that we're big Apple fanboys. And WWDC Conference is that major developer conference that, that Apple has once a year, where they talk about the brand new developments on the platform, particularly on the software side. So normally we see all software stuff. Sometimes they've released hardware at this point, yep. but most of the time it's looking at the software and trying to figure out what is the future of their iPad, of their iPhone, of their watch and of their Mac, of the various devices. And so I thought, Chad, we'd, we'd chat through some of the new developments there weren't many huge changes this 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 time it's more of just kind of tweaking some things and like making things a little bit better so let's start with iOS 14 which is on the iPhone and one of those things that we all come into contact with every single day and rely on it for so much of our lives especially if you have an iPhone right uh, iOS 14 is is coming in about a few months i believe it's currently in beta and some of the new things really look like they're coming from Samsung, Chat a, a lot of the analysts, a lot of the commentators have been talking about how Apple is just stealing some of the best features from the Android platform yep. and doing it in an Apple-like way. So it's, it's nothing new we're seeing, but it certainly is interesting for the iOS platform and, and hopefully will make it a better experience for the users. The first one I wanted to chat about was home screen widgets. So at the moment, on an Android, you can kind of pick a widget that you want on your home screen and you can make it whatever size you want, you can put it anywhere you want on the screen, and that widget can give you as much information as you'd like on a particular thing yep. in apple you've had to use your kind of notification center to see your widgets so it's kind of been hidden from the home screen and now they're bringing those widgets to the home screen itself do you think it's going to change your use of your iphone chat
0: well barry just to touch on on the updates you said that there were not too many big updates and i guess you're completely right but i suppose depending on who you are and the things that you've been looking for for some people these types of changes are huge um, and the fact that this gap essentially between Android and iOS is, is getting a little bit better. iOS is letting you do a lot more things like with these widgets is a great example. I certainly will be using them, there's no doubt about it. The fact that these widgets actually can even become stackable, which I haven't seen on Android, you may definitely correct me if I'm wrong, um, but you can actually stack multiple widgets that are the same size on top of each other and then flick through them. Um, just to kind of get a glance of your weather, to get a glance of the latest share prices, all of that kind of stuff. So I think there's definitely some useful changes here, and I think Apple has been behind on this front. I'm glad that they've finally gone this way.
1: Yeah, definitely. It feels like a bit of a departure from their usual strategy. For the longest time, Apple been very, very defensive about how they want their design to look. And they've kind of limited a lot of the customization you might be able to get on an Android platform because they are so, like... They're so um, picky about how they want their their iPhones to look. So, giving this kind of customization, like you say, to kind of have multiple widgets to like move through them in a stack, it's really interesting and it's gonna change the way that we interact with our devices. I know for myself, I'd love to have more customizable information on that home screen and not just see a thousand apps, right? I want that home screen to be as productive and as useful for me as possible. And these widgets will hopefully allow me to do that, especially when developers get their hands on them and can start to create all sorts of new things for the platform.
0: Barry, out of interest, What is Your home screen look like? Are there multiple folders that are very nicely and neatly organized, and all that kind of stuff? Because on mine, it's literally just anything goes, really. And I don't even navigate to find apps using the home screen. I literally swipe down and type the name of the app, um, which I'm sure for any productivity genius out there, uh, they're going to be cringing at the sound of that.
1: I don't know, Chad. I I think that that search is quite powerful if you get it right. I mean, obviously Siri will bring up the the most recommended apps, the one you use most often. So so maybe it is quicker than swiping through three pages of apps. For myself, my front front home screen is just the most most used apps, the most important ones, and then everything else is in folders on the second screen. Um, And I've started to use that search more often as well. So I think it really depends on what use cases you have for it, and how badly you're trying to avoid clicking that dreaded Instagram icon. Are Are you able to hide it on the third screen, or is it on that home screen where you click on it every single time you have a spare moment?
0: Well, that's a great, great point. And one of the things that you can do now is you can actually hide a home screen altogether because of the fact that there's another feature which we're gonna talk about, which is the app drawer, And that is essentially a listing of apps that uh, lets you really vertically scroll through uh, the apps one by one, they're alphabetically organized. And because of that, because there's a way for you to access all of these apps, uh, typically we've got all of these random apps that you know come with the iPhone and we just keep them there because you know one day we might need them, but we never use them. We end up shoving them into this random Apple folder that always sits there and always just irritates us. But you can now actually Hide a complete home screen so if you wanted to for example have a social media detox you could have all your social media apps on your second home screen and when that happens you literally just hide that particular home screen um, which I guess does make it a little bit harder to find those kinds of apps.
1: Yeah I think for any of our bad habits we're trying to increase the friction right so we don't want to delete Instagram necessarily because sometimes (laughs) we enjoy spending time there but if you increase the friction to get there it kind of gives you a, a, a moment to reconsider your choice in that moment and for me that certainly will help because I'm addicted to my phone, as I think a lot of us are, and I'm trying to spend less time on it. But if those apps are right in front of my face, every single time I have a spare moment... I'm clicking that out of habit. And so being able to hide those were quite powerful. So I'm quite excited to seeing that. I think another cool feature for me, Chad, was what they called App Clips, which is this new thing where you can kind of use a small piece of functionality of an app without actually downloading it. So for example, at the moment, every single coffee shop, every single restaurant, every single shop has got their own app and they want you to be a loyalty member and all that good (laughs) stuff. This might enable you to not have to download all 300 of them, but just to use the functionality to get your coffee or to get your meal at that point in time. so really interesting kind of use case using RFID technology and I'm interested to see how it's going to change the way we interact with merchants and various like shops and whatnot around the world
0: definitely Um, even when it comes to apps always having a full screen capability sometimes when you run Siri you know you don't need to see the whole thing blocking up everything Uh, particularly you might be reading an article and want to actually search up something in that article and the fact that you summon Siri actually just blocks everything. So the fact that you're actually only able to utilize the space that you need to um, will definitely, I suppose, add lots of efficiencies and allow us to do a little bit more multitasking, although I know we say that it doesn't quite exist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things where we have to wait and see what behavioral changes yeah. come out of these tech changes, right? Of course, Apple are trying to predict how users are gonna use these features and how they're gonna enjoy them or not enjoy them. And they're gonna to have to figure out through this beta period, we might see some more changes as they start to see users in the real world using these things and seeing how to fix the experience.
0: Absolutely. Well, one of the other very important Apple devices that we speak about quite a lot uh, is the iPad and the iPad OS, which is the operating system of that particular device, has also seen the same changes over there, except there's a really cool little feature uh, that they've introduced as well. What is that, Barry?
1: It's really cool. When I saw it in person, I was very impressed by it. Basically, what it enables you to do is use the Apple Pencil, and say you come across a text form, you need to fill in a form online, or in a PDF, or, or something like that. If you write in that form using your own handwriting, the tech will then do OCR, optical character recognition, on your text and turn it into actual text that can be then sent in digital Amazing. format. So it's a really fascinating thing to see it when you see someone doing it, and I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that it'll work with even people like me. You've got terrible handwriting, <laughs> Chad, but we'll have to wait and see on that. It's a really cool little feature that I think will make the Apple Pencil even more usable and even more effective in day-to-day life.
0: Definitely, the fact that I only have to open up a, a note-taking app to use the Apple Pencil kind of does make it feel a little bit useful useless sometimes. Uh, only for marking up PDFs, only for editing photos, only for you know taking notes. The fact that you can actually fill in forms definitely, definitely helps and uh, anyone who has an iPad will know that when you do click on a form and uh, that keyboard comes up, it takes up about 50% of the screen. So the fact that you can now actually just Right and, and fill the form in, I think that's fantastic. Um, the next change is uh, to do with the device that you own, Barry, and that's the Apple Watch, Apple Watch OS 7. And a feature that I'm really pleased to see, finally, um, is that of sleep tracking. For some reason, the Apple Watch has never had sleep tracking. I know that the battery life is, is not great, and obviously you have to charge it fairly often. Um, but why on earth did they take so long to
1: introduce this? And you've kind of had to rely on third-party apps to give you this kind of ability. Yeah, I really don't know. It's, it's one of those things that I've been baffled by for, because for me, I use it as a fitness device. Yep. I use it for fitness and for sleep, right? I kind of turn all my other notifications off because I don't want every single WhatsApp lighting up my watch because I'll go crazy. Um, and so I use it for these purposes. And so when I saw this, I was, like you, Chad, I was very excited because this is exactly what the watch should be used to do. And so sleep tracking is coming to the, to the Apple Watch for the first time, which is great. We have to wait and see how accurate it is and what kind of user experience they're going to have. But knowing Apple, it's going to be seamless, it's going to work perfectly with your iPhone and it really is going to give you some good sleep data as opposed to like you say using external apps or trying to put your phone to record you on the bedside table or any of that kind of stuff being able to keep the watch on and let it actually monitor your pulse and your various waking and resting periods will be very powerful the question of course like you mentioned is when do you charge it right when do you charge this thing and so everyone is talking about it some people are saying when you get up in the morning when you're in the shower you give it a quick half an hour charge and you hope for the best (laughs) Um, it really depends on how often you use it someone like me i'm not i'm not using it for notifications all the time and so mine actually will last a day so i think i'll be able to get by with a small charge in the mm-hmm. morning but if you're a power user you going to have to find a different way to do it because if you want to use it for sleep you're gonna have to find a way, some way during the day, to take it off and charge it then. Yeah, it's
0: a really, really interesting one. And I suppose the biggest power drainer is the screen. So the fact that that can be off through the night, maybe we'll be able to let that battery life stretch a little bit more, uh, but we'll definitely have to see what they do. Uh, now the next thing is Mac OS. Uh, so for anyone who owns a, a MacBook or a iMac or a, a you know Mac Pro or anything like that, um, this is obviously your operating system for your Mac, your primary operating system. And there's been a bit of a design overhaul um, which which certainly sounds quite dramatic. What are some of those changes, Barry?
1: Yeah, so what it seems like they're doing is they're starting to slowly, slowly merge iOS and macOS, right? So the idea is that your Mac is going to look a little bit more like your iPhone every single year, and your iPhone or your iPad is gonna look a little bit like more like your, your Mac, yeah. right? And so I can see the vision, and everyone is talking about it, they want a vision of one operating system that works on all of their devices, which will really uh, unlock a lot of potential for really cool optimizations and really cool efficiencies between the three. So they've changed a lot of things in notifications and icons and the design of the whole system and it's going to look a lot more like your like your iPhone. It's going to be a lot of those rounded awesome. edges and a lot more like a mobile experience. It's very polarizing as all of these design changes are. Some people hate what they've seen so far. Yeah. Some people love it and so I think it's only when you get to use it for a couple of weeks you'll have to get a real sense as to whether it's actually a move forward or a step back. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge debate here as to whether these things should merge or should they stay as separate devices and uh, that's one we're going to debate for a while, Chad.
0: Yeah I think is an important one though. Uh, a user interface is paramount. You're going to be spending all your time uh, working on apps. You've got to like the way they look. They've got to be aesthetically pleasing. They're going to make you want to use them. Um, and so if you were to on the Windows side compare like a Windows XP to uh, Windows 10, it's night and day. Um, and certainly, I don't know about you Barry, but when I sit in front of a Windows XP computer I really just want to cringe. I, I have no other thing to do. <laughs>
1: we really sound like Apple fanboys, don't we Chad? <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I said there was nothing wrong with Windows uh, ten, it's it's the XP, it's the up, it's the update.
1: This is true. Um, and, this, and this, this is <laughs> true, and
0: this is why I, I definitely think it's really important to get these graphical changes um, because our tastes change all the time, and I'm sure we will all get used to whatever they throw at us.
1: Yeah, Chad, moving on to what I think was the most exciting Apple device of the last couple of years and what I'm wearing in my ears right now. So if you're on YouTube, you should be able to see them. The AirPods, right? Those those weird dental floss looking devices <laughs> that you put in your ears. The Apple's wireless headphones that cost way too much compared to yep. the competition, right? And so AirPods have been a very a very good product for Apple. Um, I, I certainly have found them incredible. They've worked every single time. The pairing is perfect. It, it really has been fantastic, especially when I was traveling throughout last year. To be able to take calls on them in yeah. the bus or on the way in the airport Etc. is fantastic. And what is really cool about the AirPods and this tiny little feature they they brought up was the ability for it now to recognize what device you're holding and then to change its pairing accordingly. Cool. So at the moment, Chad, if I'm currently paired to my laptop and I want to pair to my phone, I have to disconnect from my laptop and then reconnect to my phone. So there's a couple steps there to repair it so that I can use my one set of AirPods for multiple devices. What Apple is saying now is they're going to be able to, to, with a gyroscope and with various sensors in these devices, to understand when I put my iPad down and pick up my phone, it's going to automatically repair my AirPods to the device I'm holding. That's really cool.
0: That is really, really cool. And it's all because of the chip that's inside those AirPods, the same chip that they've rolled out across uh, some of their Beats headphones. And so I wonder whether this feature is going through to the Beats range as well. Beats obviously owned by Apple now as well. Um, A really, really cool little feature, especially like you say, when you're pairing to multiple devices and that kind of, I guess, mirrors what it is that we use our devices for. The only challenge for me is how is it going to know when you're working on your laptop? You're not exactly picking it up and down every single time. That for me, is the only challenge on this one.
1: Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it's implemented and what kind of controls you have over it. It would be really annoying, like you say, Chad, if it didn't do it all the time. And and sometimes yeah. it didn't, sometimes it didn't. And so we'll have to wait and see how it performs in the real world and what kind of workarounds they've done to figure out when you are working on your laptop. But it's, just, it's those little things that Apple really care about. They really care about those small pieces of just smooth, frictionless transitions between their devices. Yeah. That's what a closed ecosystem gets you. You're able to do these sorts of things. And so I'm excited to see what it looks like in the real world and I hope it doesn't suck.
0: Absolutely. Well, one of the fundamental changes that they announced, which to be honest, I thought was really, really big. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously loads of people for and against uh, this as well is the, the change that they're going to be making to the actual physical hardware in future devices. Now, talk us through what this changes and what it means for, for users.
1: Yeah, so for the longest time Intel has been kind of the, the major world leader when it comes to CPUs and chips in all these devices, right? Yep. So They've had a huge kind of control over the market and have been key, key suppliers to Apple right from the very beginning. And these chips, of course, are <laughs> the brain of these devices. That's where all the power sits, right? They're very, very important pieces of the puzzle. And they've been getting better and better and better over time and that's why the smartphones we have in our hands today has more power in it than the rocket that took us to the moon in 1969. Yep. And so it really is a, a really crucial part of this whole equation. And basically Apple have decided they want to do it themselves. They don't want to rely on Intel. They don't want to be buying Intel chips for much longer. So they want to be able to create and distribute their own chips into their own devices, right? And kind of take that away from Intel. And so as far as I understand, they're going to be transitioning over the next kind of two years. And I, I would think that every new device that comes out is going to have Apple's own chip in it and not Intel's chip. Um, and, and moving forward, that's going to kind be the way they do it and vertically integrating in that manner. Now, obviously, Charlie, you mentioned it's highly debatable. There's lots of pros and cons here. What are your initial thoughts on this kind of move? Yeah,
0: it's really interesting. Like you say, the iPad uh, has a lot more power than most laptops, in all honesty. And it's because of these chips, because of the A chips that Apple have been producing um, that, like you said, have been just getting so much better. So I can see why they do it. Um, and obviously, Apple products are always optimized to the software that they use. And, and because of that, um, th- there's really no like mismatch in terms of the performance that you actually get out of it. So I definitely think there could be some some great benefits here. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to lose a heck of a lot. Uh, you're maybe not going to be able to run Windows on your machine anymore. Windows has been able to run on Apple machines because of the fact that they have Intel chips. And obviously, as soon as we you know strip that out, that might affect a lot of people uh, who want the durability of Apple hardware, who want the icon of the, the sleek devices and the high quality uh, you know, displays and all of that kind of stuff, but might have to now sacrifice uh, the user interface on that. So we'll certainly have to see what happens. I think really importantly for anyone who's looking to buy a new laptop, um, I would probably wait for, for the new ones because of the, the support piece of this what's going to happen to the intel models are they going to still roll out updates like you say maybe only for the next two years but after then do they kind of just forget about you
1: yeah that's that's one of the major criticisms of apple right through the ages is that idea of they don't like backwards compatibility they don't care if you bought a device four years ago they want to force you to buy the new one and this is exactly what this is going to do like you say chad it's going to force people to buy new devices if they aren't compatible going backwards in time Um, and so the support obviously you want support in all your devices you want to be able to get help when needed and if they are kind of splitting their attention between the Apple chips and the Intel chips you know what they're going to prioritize <laughs> and so it's one of those things where it's a typical Apple move, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest it's exactly what I w- would expect them to do I'm sure it's a huge deal for Intel because they're losing a ginormous yep. customer the biggest customer in the world, so they must be freaking out, so we have to see what it does to the to the chip market and like what it does for, for various other devices around the world and how Intel tries to c- recover from this sort of loss and also whether the increased performance is actually worth it whether we even notice the difference yeah
0: Yeah, that's an important piece of it and uh, i suppose the fact that apple are really so closed like we always say they've got their own little uh, magic land that you know, they run everything themselves and everything functions within the boundaries of that magic land. Um, the fact that now they don't even have to rely on other people for components. It might go a step further. For a while they've been using Samsung screens. Are they gonna start making their own? Do they currently make their own? I don't even know. Um, but yeah, certainly an interesting move. And uh, we'll have to see what it happens to their market share and all of that kind of stuff. Next thing I'd like to chat about that happened this past week, Barry, is something that I'm very pleased about: some UK lockdown eases that Boris announced in Parliament this past week. And uh, basically, there's quite a few. I'd say fairly big changes. I'd say it's certainly the the biggest feeling step uh, from you know the last steps that we've seen in the past couple of weeks. And uh, the first one is that businesses who cannot observe the two meter rule, or businesses who can observe the two meter rule, but it's really not profitable for them to open under those conditions, can now switch to a one meter plus. So the plus bit really means plus mitigations, things like sanitizer, shift patterns, desk layouts, ventilation, face coverings, all of that kind of stuff that when added to the one meter, they say is an appropriate level of mitigation uh, for the loss or the the increase in risk, shall we say, um, in reducing that distance, which I think certainly makes a big difference uh, for businesses opening up and uh, getting back to normal. One of the other things he stressed is that instead of us following regulation, which is what it's been up till now, The tension has really been focused to following guidance, um, which kind of leaves a little bit more to be imagined, I guess, Uh, leaves a little bit more to discretion, and I suppose really just puts the the ball in society's court. So whether people are gonna be responsible with it, I'm not too sure, uh, but we'll certainly have to see what happens there. The biggest change for me, and certainly in in the feeling in being able to have social contact and all that kind of stuff, is the ability to now invite friends over to your house, which can be indoors, you don't to have an outside garden which it was previously you can now have people over to your house and they can even sleep over if you'd like but there is a caveat here and that is that Only two households can be indoors at the same time. Now, the size of those households could be as big as they want. You could have 10 people in one household combined with 10 people in another household, and it's all good. But we're now looking at households rather than numbers, um, which seems like a logical approach to me and surely makes a massive difference. I mean, Barry, how do you feel about those changes, uh, certainly on my side of the pond?
1: I'm very jealous, Chad. I'm very jealous from this side of the pond to hear all this good stuff. It, it really is a, a sign of the times that the UK have started to get things under control, yep. right? And uh, it's, it's it really is a big step to kind of say, okay, we're going to lower the regulations and we're going to give out guidance and kind of guidelines. That's a big deal yep. because they're relinquishing some of that power they took in the, in the midst of the crisis to make sure that people were actually following these rules. And so, like you say, things are slowly starting to go back to normal slowly but surely. Yep. I know I've chatted a bunch of my London friends and it certainly seems like that's the feeling on the ground that things are slowly starting to get back to normal. And the ability to reunite with friends and family that Definitely. you haven't seen in months is a really, really big deal. And it will do a lot for the morale of the country. Of course, it's always the caveat as to do they <laughs> actually like follow these guidelines? Yep. Do, they, do people kind of take this seriously? I know here in South Africa, there's lots of conversations about the fact that this thing's not over. It's not over. We sure. can't get complacent. And so it's that balance, right? It's a balance between trying to go back to a somewhat normal life while still keeping precautions and still being being considerate and being conservative about what you do and so you don't go wild the first day that you're allowed out.
0: Absolutely. And uh, just something that I forgot to stress is, although you can have two households in your house, obviously you have to observe social distancing rules. And uh, like you say, it's no time to be complacent. Um, but I think certainly be grateful of these lifts. And I definitely encourage people to take on these uh, new rules, especially because your mood is going to get better. You're going to be able to see a lot more people. So take them on. But like Barry says, don't get complacent. We're not just there just yet. Um, some of the other things is restaurants and pubs are to be opened. I think a lot of people are very pleased about that. Uh, Hairdressers are to open (laughs) nail bars. Um, You can now, like I said, stay overnight in hotels and B&Bs as well. Um, But this follows the same two household rule. And then all of the kind of outdoor type facilities, outdoor gyms, some cinemas, museums, um, arcades, theme parks, all of those kinds of things are going to slowly start opening. Libraries, social clubs, all of that kind of stuff. And more importantly, schools as well. Um, So I think some really, really big changes here, and a lot of people really, really pleased. They're seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and for a lot of us, we, we maybe didn't expect it to open up this fast, right? And for a lot of us, I think we've been quite um, pleasantly surprised yep. by how the cases have gone down, especially in places like the UK. And so it really is a big step forward. Of course, we have to monitor the next couple of weeks and see what the effect of this is on case numbers and on, on, the, on the virus more generally. But as long as people are looking after themselves, looking after the people around them and being like considerate towards other people, I think this is a really good step. And like you say, the morale is the big deal to get people back into that space where they feel like they're human again they feel like they can leave their house again okay. they can go and get a meal from their favorite restaurant again etc etc exactly. that is really big psychologically and hopefully this is the start like you say Chad of light just on the edge of that <laughs> tunnel there And we can slowly start moving towards it. The world is not going to end and we're going to come out of this okay. It's all
0: we need. And it's uh, so great to to finally be seeing that. Now let's move on to something else we want to chat about this week. Uh, Our favorite rapper, we've spoken about him on this podcast (laughs) before. And uh, he signed a really big deal um, with a clothing brand. Um, He has his own clothing brand. Uh, I'm going to not keep you in any more suspense. Barry, tell us who this rapper is and what the brand is.
1: It's the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend. Chad Kanye West yep. of course and uh, Kanye West we we chatted about him in a past episode like you say a very controversial figure but a, a, an undoubtedly a musical genius Definitely. and he signed a brand new deal with his clothing brand called Yeezy right and the deal is with a company called Gap and the Gap is one of those department stores that doesn't seem super high-end, Chad. It seems like one of those normal run-of-the-mill kind of department stores. You wouldn't normally expect to see Kanye West products in those stores. But I think one of the reasons that he's decided to go with them is that he's got a real personal connection to Gap. Because he used to work there. Back in his younger days, when he, before he was a rapper, before he was a superstar, he used to work at the Gap. And so he's got some personal connection there. And uh, they've signed a 10-year deal with Yeezy to, to, to have their products in their stores, their retail stores, and also online, uh, which is really a big deal. Previously, Yeezy has been very much a, a brand that sells itself. Yeah. And now to be sold alongside some of the other brands in these big stores is quite a big deal. And so I'm curious to see what it's going to do, Chad. But 10 years is a long time. It's a huge deal, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. And for a brand that I thought has been doing fairly well, uh, that of Yeezy, I don't know why people spend so much money um, on you know the <laughs> shoes and you know all the very expensive bits. It's an expensive brand, uh, so obviously yeah. with him signing up this kind of deal, he's going to be taking a massive cut on his margins. Maybe it brings some supply chain advancements for him. Maybe it's maybe it's a better deal. Um, but I like that little loyalty piece. I think that's important and uh, that's really hard to find in this world. I think a lot of people are just driven by by figures mostly. So to see some sort of loyalty, I really appreciate that. But what I'm really really fascinated by is the increase to Gap's market cap on this announcement. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, literally within a few hours after he made this announcement on Twitter, of course, within a few hours, he made the announcement and the stock price went up 42% Chad, <laughs> in, the, in the matter of no time. Crazy. So I think it was uh, just over a billion dollars worth of value was added to the market cap. Now the gap itself has been struggling for a little bit. Uh, of course, the coronavirus hit it very hard, but sure. it was struggling even before the coronavirus. And uh, looking at those figures from the last quarter ending May 2020, they had a quarterly loss of 932 <laughs> million US dollars. So they really have been struggling 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 as a company and to see that kind of market cap increase uh, overnight is really really powerful so like you say chad i don't know how this is going to go is it going to bring enough customers into those stores to kind of revitalize the gap brand i'm sure this is kind of their hail mary path to try and get themselves out of this hole is to find find a real big superstar and will the customers go and buy in those stores like you say will the margins stay like they are Um, at the moment his clothing is very expensive (laughs) and so it doesn't really fit the kind of gap uh, buyer the normal gap buyer and so it's a weird one. When I saw it, I thought it was a joke at first, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um I think, like you said, the loyalty thing is is quite cool. And I read one piece about him talking about it, and he was saying that his love of clothing and his love of kind of is his dream and desire to build his own brand came from those days when he was folding okay. clothes in gap. Wow. And of course, that's a beautiful story for publicity. So I don't know how true it is. But if it is true, it sounds really good. And that's exactly why he might want it to go this route. More or less from a monetary perspective. He doesn't need to make any more money. Yep. He's got all the money in the world. But from a legacy perspective, right? And getting his clothing in the hands of more people.
0: Absolutely, and we certainly hope that that is the case because um, how fantastic would that be? Now, let's skip back, uh, not just this past week, but basically two weeks back, essentially looking at what we spoke about last week and that of WhatsApp and the, the payment space. Um, some development there, Barry?
1: Yes, last week we chatted, Chad, about how WhatsApp are going to be trialing their payments functionality in Brazil, which is quite a surprise because we expected it to be in India. We've seen lots of trials over there in India, but in Brazil, they're going to really like give it a real go. And uh, we were very excited about that for the future of what online payments might look like and also a little bit scared about the way they're going to use the data um, and this week well, in the last couple days since we recorded this we found out that the Brazilian Central Bank has actually put a stop to all of it. Uh, the regulators came in and they decided cool we're going to suspend this trial because it, it violates antitrust regulation okay. and f- it was quite weird because it was reported the company itself was very surprised I would imagine they were in regular contact throughout this whole process while they were setting it up so it's weird that as soon as it started then, then the bank decided to put their foot down and kind of stop this but the idea is that facebook who owns whatsapp and cielo which is the company they were going to use as a payment partner putting their user putting their user bases together they had too much of a monopoly over the market right. and uh, the regulators said that unfortunately the barriers to entry will be too big for someone else to come in and play and so at the end of the day, it's suspended indefinitely. Obviously, Facebook are going to try and fight it and see what they can do to fix that. But it's a big blow to the to the WhatsApp ecosystem. And they were very excited about this, this, this trial to see what would happen. And I'm sure lots of work had gone into preparing the trial. And all of a sudden, the regulator says no.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. Failing to plan is planning to fail. And it almost feels like they failed to get the step in on their plan for this rollout. But does this mean that it's the end for this app in the payment space? I don't think so, Barry, I don't think so. Um, we've obviously seen Tencent and they're offering WeChat do loads of great things uh, throughout the world. So I definitely don't think this is going to be the end for Facebook and you know their WhatsApp offering. I certainly think that they'll roll out these trials to to a different geography, but definitely, definitely must be really frustrating for them, uh, especially having got this far. And right at the stage where you're going to start rolling out these tests, something like this happens, it's not ideal. Now Barry, I've really, really enjoyed speaking about Apple. I've really enjoyed speaking about lockdown eases, Kanye West, all of that stuff. It's been really exciting, but Oh, man, am I excited to speak about our next segment. Chad, I've been waiting
1: the whole week. Let's get there. Let's get
0: there. Stuff I found interesting. So let's just kick this off with two words. Jacob Collier.
1: Chad, 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 (laughs) Chad, 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 Chad. We need to have a heart to heart. How did we not know about this guy? We call ourselves music fans. We call ourselves musicians sometimes when we Tonk around on the, on the piano or the keyboard. <laughs> How do we not know about Jacob Collier? I feel like
0: the world is broken. I feel like we know about all sorts of other people and uh, some really not so good, not so talented people, people who have access to auto-tune and good production facilities. Um, and I guess it's just the way the world is designed. Those who are behind big labels that pump out loads of money, loads of marketing, You know, get things in the right place, get things to people's ears. And uh, the fact that we've not heard of this guy until now, I'm ashamed.
1: Yes, Chad. It really is. It makes me a little bit sad that I haven't been able to enjoy his music until now. Yeah. But luckily, we've now found him. And now we can deliver him to the Across the Pond audience. And so if you've never listened to him, you need to go and check him out. Basically, he's a 24-year-old musician uh, hailing from North London. And he's won four Grammys already. Like, I didn't even realize he'd won the Grammys. But he's won four Grammys already. And basically, it's really hard to describe him, Chad. I've been trying to figure out how am i going to describe this to someone who's never heard his music. And it's very, very difficult to describe. Because he... He kind of bends genres. He's got a little bit of jazz in him. He's got some blues. He's got a little bit of pop. He's got some EDM in him. He's got a whole bunch of genres in his stuff. And so it's very hard to kind of figure out where does he fit. He's one of these musical prodigies that is a multi-instrumentalist. He can play every instrument you can think (laughs) of, from the piano to the harpsichord to the double bass to to the everything, right? But even more importantly, he understands how to do digital music. He understands Logic Pro and all these digital workstations better than most. So that's almost an instrument on its own to be able to do weird things with sound and really like f- push the boundaries when it comes to music production. So in my opinion, he's, he's possibly the most talented musician or the most talented producer, at least, that I've seen in a very, very long time. And at 24 years old, Chad, I've been blown away by his music and I've been listening to it on repeat for the last week.
0: It's really quite hard to explain the scale of this to an audience without the actual tracks in the episode. And uh, I certainly, certainly recommend going and having a look at some of his stuff on YouTube. That's where Barry started me off. And as soon as he sent me that link, I just realized that my evening was screwed. Um, I certainly felt... Very, very underaccomplished. I felt like I had wasted my life. How is this twenty-four-year-old guy such a genius? He's truly a genius. Um, and like you said, the fact that he blends these genres together and the way that he does it—I was watching a video about him spending some time at MIT, Barry. And there's a little piece in that clip where the composer, who you know runs the program, um, is really debunking and and looking at a piece of music that Jacob composed himself and arranged and he starts his piece off by really what seems like a very simple four chord pop song and immediately after that it blends into this miraculous magical moment really that consumes everyone um it's quite a different change, but somehow he makes that change seamless. Somehow it is not enough to lose your interest. It still keeps your interest because sometimes we know of those types of jazz that are just too complex and you, you struggle to listen. Um, he keeps it within the, ser- the same theme um, in some way that just keeps your interest and he is he's just incredibly talented. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, so really hard to portray this uh, to an audience.
1: Yeah, that point is really the key thing of his genius his music is incredibly complicated, right? It is very, very complex. There are thousands of things going on. He does things with harmonies that most people wouldn't even dream to do because it breaks all the rules. But somehow it still feels tasteful. It mm. still doesn't feel like he's being over pretentious. It's still listenable, especially if you're not a person who normally listens to jazz. So his music isn't for everybody. It's not going to be for the mainstream audience. like that. that that's for sure. But if you're a musician and you have some sort of appreciation as to how difficult these things are to put together... When you watch some of his music or you listen to some of his stuff, it's amazing. That song you're referencing is a song called Hideaway, which is a great yeah. place to start if you're looking for somewhere to start from his, with his music. And like you say, it's that mix of that opening number where it's very, very listenable and very easygoing. And then he starts to show you what he can do and what kind of colors he can paint with with his music. He really is a fascinating soul, not just a musician, yeah. but a real soul yeah. who is creating emotion out of his music. And I have never been this excited about a musician, Chad. I mean, I found out about him a couple of days ago and I know you've been laughing at me the whole <laughs> week, as to like how much of a fanboy I've become so quickly, <laughs> but I think it's it's the complexity there that, that I appreciate, but also it's that emotion and it's that attention to detail that is so rare in today's music. So much of today's music is, like you say, four chords, a catchy hook, and a good beat under it. And that's it, right? And obviously, I enjoy that music as well. But when you think about more complicated music or, or, or music that needs more kind of expression and more creativity, this guy is one of the most creative I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. I mean, we were speaking about Phineas a while back, and at that time, I was kind of in the stage where you were, where I was kind of watching everything he's ever done, looking at him explaining his production, which is also amazing. And to be honest, in my mind, now that I've seen this, his production kind of feels a little bit silly. When you've <laughs> shown a Logic Pro Project that has 665 tracks for anyone who has ever tinkered with any kind of musical software ever, just think about 665 tracks running concurrently, obviously not all at the same time, um, but that in a sort of four to five minute song it's just insane.
1: Yeah, Chad, I completely agree. Like, I don't want to take anything away from Phineas. Like, he is an, a <laughs> genius producer, Definitely. and his music is is world class, right? And he's going to be more successful under traditional measures sure. because it's more listenable his stuff. But like you say, the complexity and the attention to detail in in Jacob's music is just unheard of. And uh, I had the same reaction when I when I watched that same video. I could not believe the complexity and <laughs> what he what he's able to do with sound. Right? He is like a surgeon. He goes into every single little waveform and will fix. A tiny little waveform. I add a certain little tremolo, a little bit of reverb. He is a wizard. He's an absolute wizard. And what I love about him is that it doesn't. He's not a perfectionist in the way that he's only going to release one or two songs every now and then. <laughs> he is releasing four albums in the next year, Chad. Yes. <laughs> four albums. He is an absolute prodigy. And. I would encourage you to go and give him a listen, please. Even if you're not into jazz, you might not you might not like the music. You might not want to put it on in the background during your normal day-to-day life. But I hope you can appreciate how good it is and how talented this guy is to put together this genre-bending music that is jazz but is also listenable and is really complex beyond understanding.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Uh, definitely, definitely do go and give him a listen. Uh, there's still so much more to talk about, I feel, though, Barry. I don't want to close this out just yet um, because <laughs> I really did enjoy uh, this little rabbit hole that you threw at me last night. And just on those four albums, I mean, it d- does definitely seem excessive. But, Barry, as a creator yourself, you certainly know that creative bouts, you know, come and go. Some days you just are overwhelmed with creativity and inspiration and you can just do. Um, so for me, it makes sense for him to be just doing this, getting it out while that outlet is turned on. Um, and, you know, the world will certainly look back when he's even dead, you know, in 100 years' time. I can see people studying his music um, because it really is that groundbreaking in my mind.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, Chad. I think that his his kind of outlook on life and his outlook on music is so refreshing because he's not precious about his work he could very easily take these four albums of songs and make them even more perfect if you watch him work like he's so so fine-tuned but he's able to get to a point where he just lets it out into the world and moves on to other stuff and he loves what he's doing he really really loves it if you watch him perform live or you watch him in his logic sessions he is obsessed with this stuff and that's why it was so inspiring to me I said to you Chad I started writing my own song I was like hey maybe I can give it a go and then I felt entirely useless <laughs> and lacking creativity because I was comparing myself to this guy. Yeah. Um, but like you say, I think it really is a special, special talent. I haven't seen someone like this in the music industry for a long time.
0: I mean, when you said he's a special soul, I wanted to touch on that point because I got the exact same thing out of watching that MIT video and kind of got the fact that he's he's quite a philosopher too. He, he's quite a thinker. Um, on one of the the logic breakdowns as well, he went into this discussion about grids and how they damage emotion. Um, now, he's he was speaking in this context about timing and beats Uh, like you said barry the the four to the floor you know the beat follows right on the time and uh, that's kind of how we've been consuming our music but he shows you very quickly how humans are not perfect we need imperfection and so when he shifts that beat a little bit off of the straight you know what the textbook says we should do off the grid suddenly that music becomes a lot more interesting. We are drawn a lot more to it. There's a lot more feeling, there's a lot more emotion. Similarly to auto-tune. A lot of artists use auto-tune and I've been at concerts myself with someone like Drake um, and he's, you know, doing his thing and I'm just not that interested. It, it just it just lost my interest, I'll be completely honest, uh, because of the fact that there is something that is tweaking his voice up to the very closest note. Uh, and it's not to say that he's a bad singer. He definitely isn't. But there's something about perfection that just sounds too good. It sounds too predictable. We, we don't, gravitate towards it. Um, and so I really, really love that point and I really just hope we we see a lot more of this. Somebody like Phineas and Billie Eilish, one of the things that we've spoken about before. Um, one of the reasons why I think we all love Billy Eilish so much is because of the fact that all of those vocal takes are completely natural. They will record a take a hundred times if they need to, to avoid using autotune. And I think this touches really well on that point.
1: Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think his music is unpredictable. And that's why I like it so much is because he takes risks and he's not, he's not willing to kind of do what you expect him to do. And so you hear a melody and your mind starts to auto-complete it. You're like, okay, I know where this is going. And he takes the harmony in a completely different direction and it just confuses you, right? But it makes it interesting to listen to. It makes it really, really well-rounded and emotional, like you say. Those imperfections are where we find the emotion in music. And that's why I think I've been so affected by his music. In one of the breakdowns I was watching, he was chatting about how he thinks about music in like kind of a multidimensional way. So in music, you can do a lot of different things. You can go from soft to loud. You can go from high to low. You can go from fast to slow. You can go from a big room with lots of resonance to a small room. Yeah. You, and, and he talked through like 10 or 11 or 12 different variations of how he thinks about dynamics and how he thinks about pulling the audience or pulling the, the listeners in a certain direction. And I've never heard anyone with that much like you say, philosophy behind their music is how he's trying to pull your emotions in a certain way and then push it down, down a different path and then kind of change change routes, uh, changing genres halfway or kind of changing the key, changing the time signature. Yeah. Um, his music is so unpredictable and that emotion comes barreling out when you see that. Um, and it's that weird mix between the perfection of the harmonies, making sure they work, but the imperfection of the entire process and the entire kind of feeling of that song going against your intuitions. That's what makes it so interesting to listen to.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. We've thrown a lot at our listeners. Barry, where would you say is <laughs> the, the best place to start? I would certainly say the NPR concert, um, for me, was a great place because it is it does take you through the, the slightly more traditional stuff and you, you enjoy that You're foreign blends and uh, you know you just get to revel in his talent at taking on the different instruments. Would you say it's a good place to start or would you ask our listeners to go elsewhere?
1: I think it's a great place to start and I think the Tiny Desk Concerts in general are incredible. So yeah. if you've never seen a Tiny Desk Concert, you'll be blown away already. So go into your YouTube, type in Jacob Collier Tiny Desk Concert and uh, let us know what you think because me and Chad, we have been blown <laughs> away by him and we are absolute fanboys and we'd love you to join the club.
0: Absolutely. Well, let us know what you thought. Uh, we definitely want to know whether you enjoyed this recommendation and uh, whether you share our passion uh, in finding him out as well.
1: I hope we didn't oversell him Chad. <laughs> <laughs> it's always
0: the risk with these kinds of things, but we're passionate. So, you know, we got to just,
1: I believe in him. I believe in him. <laughs>
0: Well, one of the other things I believe in, and uh, it certainly does not compare to our previous discussion (laughs) point, I almost feel a little bit silly in bringing it up here. I'm excited about this segue. (laughs) But it's something that I found interesting this week, and that's why it deserves to be in this little segment. And that is that I am sick and tired of paying one and a half pounds for a tiny little bit of herbs, um, of each particular herb. So, you know, I'll go into the shop every week and I'll buy mint, I'll buy coriander, I'll buy chives, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. And by the end of it, I'm spending a heck of a lot of money on herbs that I'm probably not even going to finish all of And so the fact that I've got a little bit of space in my kitchen, um, right by my sink where I wash my dishes, there's a bit of space there. There's some nice sunlight. Uh, My fiance and I thought, let's actually get a little herb garden going here because of the fact that we spend so much money on herbs. And and also it would be really cool as a little experiment um, to kind of eat your own food, um, which I know sounds very hippy-like, but uh, to be honest, (laughs) it's really cool. Um, What I found interesting here, though, is how quickly chives grow you will trim your chives off and uh, within you know, two days, um, it's sparked up by a couple of centimeters. And for me, I just find that insane. And in terms of how interesting I find it, I, I really find it as a fascinating indicator of time and the passage of time. And as silly as it may sound, Barry, it really is just a cool little way of of looking at the world and looking at this phenomenon of time in a different way.
1: Yeah, Chad, you're throwing me into a topic I know (laughs) nothing about, but you've really inspired me with this chive talk. It really really is a great way to think about it. I think that growing anything in yourself is, is a really cool experience, right? Whether it's tomatoes or potatoes or herbs or whatever it is, growing something from scratch and seeing it manifest over time is really, really cool. And uh, it's one of those things that when you uh, when you finally eat that food, you finally eat that stuff, it means so much more. And it's so yeah. much more kind of wholesome, right? Because it came from your own garden. Definitely. So I'm super excited to see your, your Instagram food pictures, Chad, with all <laughs> your homegrown stuff. And uh, looking forward to that.
0: Well, I'll have to send it to you as well, Barry, to post on our Across the Pond podcast pages. So uh, definitely <laughs> keep your eyes peeled if that's something you'd be interested in seeing. Let's move on to our next segment. Looking Ahead Alrighty, well, let's look ahead then, shall we, Barry? And let's start off with the conversation on cars and uh, I suppose where cars are going. This week, we've seen a little bit of a partnership come out from Mercedes-Benz and Nvidia. Now, Nvidia are a gaming company. They have predominantly made video graphics cards, uh, all of those types of chips. And so to see these kinds of companies working together looked really strange when I saw this announcement coming out, until you dig a little bit deeper to find out what it's about. And essentially, this is Mercedes-Benz showing their hand, I guess, at what their strategy is for the future. And this partnership, really, is so that they can introduce and roll out fully autonomous vehicles. Uh, Now, I certainly am excited at that prospect of that. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think that it sounds strange on the, on the front of it, like you say. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that NVIDIA, they like you say, they create graphics cards. And they are kind of the kings in what's called graphics processing units, yes. GPUs. And GPUs, even though they were designed for gaming, they've become incredibly important for artificial intelligence. And of course, all of these uh, autonomous systems are built on AI and built on these machine learning systems. And so GPUs are a key components. So when you think about it like that, it makes all the sense in the world. And we see in the trend, Chad, over time that cars are slowly just becoming computers on wheels, right? At the end of the day, all it's going to be is a giant computer on wheels that you get into, and that's going to be your car in the future. And so Mercedes-Benz, obviously, quite far behind the likes of Tesla and whatnot, and so they're trying to catch up. And so these sorts of partnerships are attempts to try and catch up to Tesla. And uh, I think for the whole industry, it's good. The the more we can see these big players getting into this world and starting to create these things at various price points and various types of vehicles, hopefully it pushes the innovation forward and gets us quicker to that kind of future that we all look forward to. And so I'm really excited about this. I've got no idea what they're going to do with it. Obviously, it's still early stages. and We have to see what the partnership entails. But I think getting those GPUs into those cars will hopefully make those that autonomous process even better and utilize the very best of those processing units to the best of their capabilities.
0: Absolutely. I'm excited to see what comes of this as well. And uh, obviously, this is not going to be something that's going to happen overnight, um, but certainly something that they're going to be working away at um, over years to come and Barry actually sent me a little link today um, to report back on this robot, that Spot robot that we spoke about last week, and that is Lou Later, um, AKA Unbox Therapies, uh, kind of unboxing of this $75,000 robot. And one of the points that he speaks to there is 10 years ago, the kind of first initial mockups of what this thing could potentially do were released. And at that stage, you kind of think to yourself, okay, yeah, that's coming in the future. You don't really think that 10 years comes quite quickly and once we get there it might be as groundbreaking as this robot dog has been as well.
1: Yeah, it's one of those reasons I'm so passionate about technology, Chad, is that we're in such a unique position in time because we're going to get to see so much of this innovation throughout our lifetime. We've kind of seen the start from when smartphones was first developed and all yep. the way up to where we are today. The amount of progress you've made is staggering and the future looks very bright in that in that department. And so like you say, who knows what we're going to be chatting about in 10 years' time. Maybe these autonomous cars are very, very normal for us and maybe everyone has one, right? And like you said, the robot dogs, maybe everyone's got a robot dog in their backyard. Who knows? Um, and that's what makes you so passionate about this technology, is that things are moving so quickly and there's so much interesting stuff going on. And so this is yet another one of those examples, Chad, of when these these cars partnering up with these computer companies to create something brand new and tech is getting into absolutely everything.
0: Absolutely everything indeed. And uh, I suppose that obviously leads us then to the next part that tech is ultimately taking over in, and that is Entertainment. Uh, No more do we kind of paint and make puzzles and do those kinds of traditional type things. A lot of people are switching over to gaming and that's why we speak a lot about gaming. You might not be a crazy gamer, you might, might not sort of appreciate what's happening on the world um, in the gaming space but I think it's an important thing to speak about because of the future generation a lot of companies are going to be moving money uh, into this gaming space because of the fact that decision makers of the future people who will be earning money and spending money uh, are now spending a lot of time on gaming platforms and one of those platforms is is twitch a gaming online streaming platform. Now, we've spoken about Facebook gaming as well. Facebook gaming is really big in the space. Um, and we've, today, seen an introduction of what could be a rival uh, to Twitch, and that is from Tencent club, something called Trovo Live. Uh, now, we've obviously seen how big Tencent is and you know what they've done in the world, They own stakes in some of the very biggest games out there, things like Fortnite, things like League of Legends. And so you obviously wonder what kind of integrations we're gonna see with with them introducing this new service. Um, But I certainly, if I was Twitch, would be a little bit worried on this front.
1: Yes, Twitch has been the kind of the giant gorilla in the room for so long, and they've been able to fend off most competitors. But this one, like you say, Chad, is a little bit different because uh, the Tencent guys really understand gaming, they really understand consumer mindsets, and I'm excited to see what kind of new features they bring, like you say, to match their games perfectly to their platform and see what that does for the user experience. We've seen lots of innovation in this space. Right at the beginning, all you would see is just one screen where you'd watch the guy play. Now we have interactive comments, we have quizzes, we have polls, we have like stars, we have all sorts of stuff on these platforms to make things more engaging and make things more interactive. And like you say, if they're able to really tie deeply into these games and really like tap tap into that giant uh, fan base of these games that are millions and millions of people around the world, that's really powerful. One of the competitors that, that Twitch managed to swat away was a company called Mixer, yep. which recently closed down in the last couple last couple of days. Um, basically, it was Microsoft's attempt to compete with Twitch, yep. and uh, Mixer really threw a lot of money at, at the problem. They, they got the number one game in the world, Ninja, on an exclusive deal over to their platform, and really threw a lot of marketing money at it, but couldn't bring the audiences across from Twitch. And so they've now closed down, and they're merging their existing users over to Facebook Gaming. So that's going to be a big boon for them and it's making them even more powerful. So in my opinion, Chad, it looks like it's going to be a three-horse race. It's going to be Twitch, it's going to be Facebook Gaming, and it's going to be the new operation from, from Tencent because I think that they have really have a lot of functionality and opportunities to really innovate in this space. And like we've been chatting about in previous uh, previous weeks, the future of gaming looks very bright and the audiences are, are growing every single year. There's incredible amounts of money in the, in the sports and in the industry right now. And so Tencent's entry is certainly going to do even more to hype up that industry.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating wave to see, wave of change um, that potentially we wouldn't have thought we'd ever see. We now see loads of people making fantastic amounts of money and making really sustainable careers uh, out of playing games and uh, like we've spoken about before, conveying their personalities across as they do it as well. Now, that point about investing in Ninja, one of the biggest gamers uh, in terms of Mixer on Microsoft's side, I found that a very interesting sort of point of strategy because Tencent in Trovo Live and this new offering has really done a similar thing but from a different angle. They've pledged to spend 30 million dollars on creators and I suppose what better way to get people to your platform uh, than to actually have new people creating content and sort of channeling followers in that way. And so I think that's a really Interesting differentiation from Mixer uh, that I personally think will work a bit better.
1: Yeah, definitely, Chad. I think a 10 cent strategy I think is going to work a little bit better because there's been a lot of this. There's been a lot of this, like we've seen the Joe Rogan stuff going to Spotify of trying to grab the biggest creator we can find, pay them a crazy amount of money, and make them exclusive on your platform. And unfortunately, like it's more than just that one creator. For someone watching on Twitch, it's very unlikely that the only person they're watching is Ninja and they're willing to follow him wherever he goes. It's more likely they've got a bunch of people they like to support and uh, they they on twitch because they like the experience they like the platform it's reliable it works it's got the scale it needs and so i think it's important that you have a real range of creators to really make it a a viable proposition for you to switch and so i think Tencent is going by the right way instead of just trying to pick one creator and trying to put pin all your hopes on that one person diversify yourself and get a bunch of creators and create an experience where you might be able to discover new (laughs) talent and new superstars on that platform I think it's a very key way to move forward. And we've seen a lot of companies making the same mistake. There's a company called Quibi, which is trying to do this short form video in the States at the moment. And they've had a marketing budget of like $100 million. And their whole thing is 10 minute TV shows basically that's the kind of idea and they've been paying lots and lots of famous people to make shows for them but they haven't actually tested the the platform works and people actually would consume that sort of content and so they've been throwing money down the drain trying to just encourage people with creators and so it's more than just the creator at the end of the day obviously you have to support them and use them to bring the audiences across but you've got to have something new in terms of functionality or in terms of user experience or in terms of design and that's what I think Tencent has an opportunity to do instead of just trying to copy Twitch and just doing exactly what it's done before what can they change how can they make it better going forward
0: interesting let's certainly see uh, whether they are going to stand the test of time let's then move on to ourselves on develop and grow develop and grow
1: it's becoming a bit of a trend, Chad, that I bring these <laughs> quotes into the section every single week, but I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I it's found strange. another quote, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and so this, this week is from uh, someone called Anne Rice, who's a novelist who I've read one of her books a long time ago. I think she's really talented. And the, the, the quote goes like this. Don't bend. Don't water it down. Don't try to make it logical. Don't edit your own soul according to the fashion. Rather, follow your most intense obsessions mercilessly. Only if you do that can you hope to make a reader feel every particle of what you, the writer, have known and feel compelled to share. Now, this is beyond just writers, so it applies to all of us, right, to follow our obsessions and follow the stuff that makes us unique. It calls to mind the be weird message we shared last week, Chad, and chatting about what are those things that you love to do that seem crazy and silly to everybody else? right i hope that through this process you listening to us on the podcast there might be topics that you hear us get very passionate about that you're like oh that's a bit weird and i hope <laughs> that you feel that because we are trying to share the unique things that we are obsessed about yeah. and i think that's very healthy and it's very important in a world that tries to tell you what to care about right society tries to tell you okay care about this because this is cool don't care about that because that's lame or care about this because it can make you a lot of money don't care about that because there's no industry there yep And I think it's very easy to fall into that trap of giving up on our obsessions, giving up on those weird dreams, giving up on those things that bring us real joy, and instead trying to craft a life that's very much like everybody else. And so that's why this quote kind of stood out for me, is to follow your most intense obsessions mercilessly, because that's what life is about, is following that stuff that makes you feel alive. What do you reckon, Chad?
0: I reckon it's it's fundamental. I reckon it's the same uh, concept that we've been speaking about for some time. And I love that we keep going back to it because I hope it's getting through to the people who are listening. And uh, obviously, more importantly, I hope it's getting through to us, uh, you know, the... the yeah producers of the podcast, um, because it, it certainly is the way that we should be approaching life, uh, the outlook to life. And it actually, very interestingly, uh, touches really nicely to a little movie I watched a bit of this weekend, um, and that was on the Disney Plus subscription, which is a movie called Coco, and uh, talking about uh, his love for guitar and, uh, you know, how his family didn't want him to do it. It was seen as uh, this dark art, and it follows his journey of discovering his his true love, really, and going through all costs um, to ultimately get to do what he wants to do. Um, And I think it's such an important little journey to speak of as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we we have to share this stuff with each other, right? That's how we lift each other up, is share the idea that I'm obsessed with this random little niche thing, whether it's the guitar, whether it's poetry, whether it's Jacob Collier, whatever it is, right? This random little thing, if you can share that with enthusiasm and show your passion for it, it's contagious. And you really can bring joy and enthusiasm to other people. And that energy is very, very important. It's that energy that says, I don't care what you think about me. All I care about is following what makes me happy and going to do what I think is important. And that is regardless of the money it earns me, regardless of the status it earns me, any of that is actually just like getting over yourself and following what really makes you happy. And that's the key to a long, successful life, I feel, a life of meaning and fulfillment is following those obsessions mercilessly without letting other people stamp all over them.
0: Definitely, 100%. Um, It actually talks quite nicely to the next point that I wanted to bring up. Um, And that is, obviously, it's taken a long time. I know you're going to say, Barry, uh, I haven't yet finished this book that I brought up, (laughs) I don't know, let's say 10 weeks ago. Um, But I'm getting my way through there eventually. I've
1: been busy, Barry. Good man, good man.
0: (laughs) Um, But this is basically talking about the concept of commitment. And I think sometimes we think about commitment in the wrong way. So the book here is called Feel the Fear, and do it anyway. Like I said, I've brought it up on the podcast before, um, but I'm kind of getting my way through it. So essentially the message here is if you can change the way you look at commitment, potentially you can give yourself a bit of breathing room and not have it as such a a big thing in your mind. When I speak to a lot of my friends about entering into relationships or working at certain places, they think about it as, you know, this is a long-term thing. Do I want to be tied down? That's kind of the word that a lot of people use. Um, And it's actually not that at all. What she talks about commitment being is being present while you're doing that thing. That means right now, while you're at work, be present at work. Enjoy being at work. If you're in a relationship, while you're doing that, be present, be committed to it then. It doesn't mean you have to commit your life to it. I mean, obviously, um, you know, when you start talking about marriage, yes, it does. But this is kind of just talking about the concept of commitment and I guess guess giving ourselves a bit of breathing room uh, when we make choices, when we want to try new things out. What if we can wake up in the morning and just decide to be completely committed to being present that day um, instead of creating this massive
1: horizon for ourselves um, that makes us feel locked in? it's such a human thing, right? We always live in the future. We live in this, we, our, our brain goes to weird and wonderful places. We think far into the future and try and figure out, is this the right move? Should I go a different path? What if people laugh at me? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like you say, Chad, it's 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 unnecessary. Like yeah. Obviously, there's a little bit of planning that's needed to understand where your life is going and sure. what direction you're going in. But at the end of the day, you have to live every day on its own, on its own merits and not get too lost in the future or for that matter, the past, yep. right? We have to figure out a way to kind of look at, like you say, In the present, right now, how can I live my best life? And, and it doesn't have to be the right choice. You might make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You might make the wrong choice. And you can fix that later on, right? And it's not about thinking that the choice I make today locks me into something for the rest of eternity. Often, it's not that case. Often, it's it's an experiment you can run. And maybe that's a cool way to think about it, is when you're trying something new, in your mind, make it out to yourself that it's an experiment. It's not like a forever thing. It's yeah. not a permanent change. It's an experiment. You can try, and if it doesn't work out, you can just let it go and not worry about it. And that changing of framing might help may, might help all of us to be a little bit easier on ourselves and not beat ourselves up because we decided oh, I'm going to buy the guitar and I'm going to practice every single day for 3 <laughs> hours and then 2 weeks in you're like oh I haven't practiced in a week right um, it's it, be easy on yourself and focus on the present only that will already give you a better chance of real fulfillment and real sustainable happiness i would say chad
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, try it out. Try it out this week and let us know how it goes. We'll certainly be happy to hear from you. One of the last things that I wanted to chat about on develop and grow, and I guess this is traditionally going to be on the sort of health and fitness type space. Except this offering is a little bit more holistic, um, and it's by a guy by the name of Chris Hemsworth. We all know of, of Thor, uh, <laughs> the machine that is Chris Hemsworth, and how he's able to really transition his body um, for the movies that he's doing um, in a miraculous way. And what better way to to get into shape and to kind of learn about his lifestyle uh, than to actually use his enlisted professionals, health professionals. Now you're looking at people who do yoga, people who do martial arts, people who do body weight type stuff, people who do high intensity training, all of that type of thing combined into one offering Um, plus a little bit of nutrition advice, plus a bit of mindfulness, meditation, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And what you do have is an app by the name of Center uh, that I've found to be a breath of fresh air in this lockdown period, um, where you're looking for an offering, where you're looking for something to keep active, to keep your wits about you. But there's really just too many things out there, I feel. And for me, having one thing that does it all, Um, is a great place to start, Um, and I've certainly enjoyed uh, enlisting this app uh, in these past few weeks. Does that sound like something you'd be keen on, Barry?
1: Yeah, Chad, I've heard lots of good things about it. And like you say, all of us in lockdown have been trying to figure out how do we get our exercise done at home. And if you go into that app store, you will find thousands <laughs> of different variations, right, of all sorts of different stuff. And uh, it can be quite overwhelming. And a lot of us will download a bunch of them and try them for a few times and then give up. And I've heard a lot of good things about Center. Um, I think that Chris Hemsworth obviously is a big deal to put his name behind it. And uh, I know a lot of ladies use it for the, for the eye candy, so that's also <laughs> a big deal. Um, but like you say, it's very holistic and a covers a lot of the bases. And so I I should, I should give it a go. I've, been, I've heard a lot of good things about it from various friends. And uh, it seems like one of those apps that really does promise and actually deliver what it promises. Uh, there's a lot of these apps that kind of look really cool from the outside, but then there's lots of nonsense inside. And it sounds like this is one of the unique ones. And at the end of the day, Chad, we all want to look like Thor. <laughs> we, we can't deny that, right? And so if this app gives us a chance to look like Thor, I'm all for
0: it. Absolutely. I mean, Thor can land Natalie Portman so you know, he's clearly got something going right. Um, But you're right. I think it has hit the nail on the head in all of its offerings. I, uh, I definitely have enjoyed it. The one kind of hurdle in your mind that you've got to get over is the price tag because it is quite pricey, especially if you're on the monthly basis. I've taken the first month on the monthly basis to kind of just get a feel um, for how much I'm actually going to be using it over the course of this month. Um, but then after that, I probably transition more to the kind of quarterly or annual subscription, which definitely works out on a month-by-month basis a whole lot better. Um, but definitely worth investing in these kinds of things. If you were to think on the traditional you know, way of doing things and hiring a personal trainer, it's a lot more expensive. Um, so definitely worth looking at in that way too.
1: Yeah, I think when we pay for something, we're much more likely to use it. So especially for health stuff, I think it's worth sometimes paying a little bit extra to kind of give you that social accountability to make you actually use the app. Because, of course, you can have all the apps in the world, but if you don't actually do the workouts, nothing changes.
0: Absolutely. And one of the strange things that happens these days is if we don't share something, it kind of is worthless. Uh, I've been on rides with people where if Strava wasn't recording, did you even go out? <laughs> um, and so for that kind of thinking, there's this great little feature where after every workout, um, it asks you to take a selfie. And I do my workouts in the morning as I roll out of bed. So the hair is all over the place. There's sweat pouring down my face. But you know, I'm taking that selfie.
1: Chad, I want to see those (laughs) selfies. I don't know why I haven't been seeing them. The Cross the Pond fans want to see those selfies. Uh, Yeah, it's it's great. I need to go check it out, Chad. I've heard too many good things for me not to look at it. So that's my homework for this week.
0: You can see my herb garden, Barry, but you can't see my selfies. Let's (laughs) move on to our next segment. What's on your mind?
1: Chad, I thought I'd take this opportunity to ask you a question for myself. So it's actually what's on Barry's mind this week. (laughs) And it's a question about the difference between Apple Music and Spotify. Now, I am an Apple fanboy, as we all know, we've discussed at length during this podcast, and so I've got all the Apple devices, and I've been using Apple Music for the last little bit, okay. but I've heard a lot of murmurings about the fact that even Apple users should maybe be switching to Spotify because of their unique kind of offering and the way they do their products. So I wanted to ask you, Chad, as someone who has all Apple devices, I, I think that you switched to Spotify a couple of months ago, yeah. and I'd love to know your experience, why you switched, and how's it been? That's
0: a fantastic question. I've been on Spotify, actually, funny enough, for more than a year, Barry. Oh, wow. Um, I've been committed to it for the long term, Barry. And I've been quite pleased uh, with my decision. So let's strip out all the pieces of decision making that I made uh, to get there. And uh, let's see if that sounds good to you. So I'd say the biggest reason why I switched to Spotify was the, the murmurings that I heard about its music recommendation service. And so the fascinating thing for me is you could go on to one song. So I could type in Jacob Collier obviously an important example (laughs) and play one of his songs and for the rest of an afternoon, rest of an evening, whatever the case is, have a fully created kind of playlist out there for me by just selecting one song. Um, Obviously it's going to take a lot from the things that you tell it you like, the things you tell it you don't like. And so wherever you are on a playlist, you have that option, which you do on Apple music as well. But the biggest fear that I had when moving over was I feared it wouldn't be integrated as well. When your phone is locked Maybe is it going to come up as nicely? Am I going to be able to use it in all the various places that Apple Music comes out and is integrated so nicely? Obviously, Apple Watch barry that's a big deal breaker. I don't know if it's going to be if it's gonna work as well on Spotify. But for the purposes of the, the mobile app and uh, the purposes of the lock screens and all of those kinds of things, Spotify really can replace Apple Music. Uh, and I really did find that enjoyable. I also like the fact that the podcast app is in the same app as the music app. So you can seamlessly move from podcasts to to, to music. Um, and I like their curated playlist as well. I think they, they've got a nice broad range of offering. Apple Music does too, to be fair, but often I found it wasn't updated as frequently as I would have liked. And I find that Spotify has uh, really just uh, hit the nail on the head for me. The other really, really cool thing, which wasn't really something that I was thinking about, it wasn't something that uh, was even a feature when I joined, uh, but in hindsight was quite cool, is at the end of the year they sent me a little link and a little video saying, Chad, here is your year in review. And you really are then transported back into this journey of, of feelings, really. Um, music has such a great way of, of aligning to a time in our life. Um, I, I'm sure you agree, Barry. You can think of a particular album um, that, that really just shares experiences. Um, and so being able to be handed my year in review, look at the artists that I spent a lot of time on, look at the albums, look at the genres, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I really thought it was such a cool little feature. And I don't know if Apple Music are doing that.
1: Yeah, those are really good points, Chad. I think that the two things holding me up was what you pointed to is the Apple Watch integration and Apple TV integration. I think the TV has now been fixed. As far as I understand, you can get the app on your TV. Um, And so that's the one thing ticked but the watch is, is still <laughs> a thing. I like to go on long runs and with Apple Music, I can download music straight to my yep. watch so I can leave my phone in my car and go and do the run with my Apple Music. And I don't know if Spotify can do it. I don't think they can. I think you have to be connected to your phone. Yep. And so obviously Apple are going to try their best to try and fight Spotify and all these kind of places. And that's why it's a difficult decision because that, that closed ecosystem makes it so easy to just stick on Apple Music and not do it that way. But I agree with you. I think that the functionality and the recommendations and the actual products is a little bit better on, on Spotify. And uh, so something I'm thinking about, thank you for those points. I'm certainly going to take them into consideration and try and figure out what I'm going to do. Maybe it's worth trialing it out for a month. Maybe I should go full Spotify, use their free platform for a month, and just see what it's like, and uh, then decide if I'm going to make the the jump.
0: I think that's a great, great thing to do, Barry. I think with any of these types of changes, a lot of them have trials for the paid version. Um, So that's how I started. They had a really, really cheap three-month trial, actually. um, And I kind of just went on there. And I think the other important thing to to touch on, which Spoken about in the Apple section of this uh, is just the user interface. I like to look at pretty things, and uh, <laughs> I like to I like to use the app. I like to use the the infrastructure. Um, I also like the fact that uh, with my sort of Sonos home speaker systems, I can pretty effortlessly switch my music from my computer to the lounge to the bedroom um, I can even have pairs I can do all sorts of those kinds of things and and those types of features are, are really cool um, so I, I definitely would give it a bash you're completely right they've sorted out the Apple TV but, but Apple's probably being a bit too stubborn on the watch front um, and I can only hope for you Barry uh, that that changes soon
1: yeah who knows we've got a new operating system coming on the watch very <laughs> very, very soon with that sleep tracking we chatted about yeah. and so hopefully maybe Spotify can sneak in there who knows who knows indeed
0: well we've reached the end of our episode Barry We've kind of tried to let our personality shine through a little bit better, Um, trying to strip (laughs) away from just reporting facts. Um, We've kind of been trying to do this over time. And I guess this is part of our journey and trying to get better at doing this and better talking, better at conveying ourselves in an audio format. Uh, How do you think we did?
1: I think we did well, Chad. Like you say, it's all a learning journey, and we've been chatting a lot about how do we bring more value, how do we make it more unique. And all this news, it's very powerful, and we think it's important, and we think it's interesting to listen to, but sometimes you can you don't need all the facts, yeah. you don't need all the details. You want to hear like the actual opinions and some of the color. And so hopefully, if you've heard that throughout this episode, we'd love to hear what you think. As always, we're very grateful if you've made it this far. You're a rock star, <laughs> you're a champion, we really appreciate you guys. And uh, we are learning a hell of a lot every single week, and hopefully we're getting a little bit better, Chad. One one percent better every week and we'll be superstars in no time <laughs> that's all
0: we need that's all we need and the other thing we need is you please do something a little bit crazy we've talking about doing something weird why don't you do something crazy and send us a voice note there's a little link <laughs> right at the bottom of every single episode click on that link and, and send us a little voice note what is on your mind what is something that you want to tell the world uh, we'd love to talk about it thanks again for listening to across the pond and we'll see you next week
1: On across the pond with Barry and Chad.